already know the ending to this story. We're going to change it. Yeah, baby! Please open your eyes. Take this. Remember who you answered to. What is your name? This is where it kind of goes off the deep end. Welcome to Movie Land with CJ Johnson. On ABC Local Radio, digital and online. Hello and welcome to Movie Land. I'm CJ Johnson. Thank you very much for joining me. The late, great Richard Burton was talking about why he became an actor. He was saying that various British thespians were having a go at him for basically wanting to be rich and famous. And he said, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, that's why I went into it. I wanted to be rich and famous. Of course, that's why you become an actor, to become rich and famous. Why wouldn't you want that? And the more I become rich and famous, the less I'm going to work because it's not the work I enjoy, it's being rich and famous. He literally said something like that, as I say, I'm paraphrasing. But it is interesting that... These days, there are obviously, and there always have been, people who just aspire to be rich. But more and more, there are people who just aspire to be famous. One can fully understand the desire for wealth. Money makes life easier. We all get that concept. But why would you want to be famous? What is it about fame? Why do you want other people to recognise your face if it doesn't come with the intended monetary value? Well, someone who who's examined this issue in great, great depth, is David Elliott Jones. He is the subject of a feature-length documentary called Big in Japan, and he joins me at the ABC studios. Hi, how are you, David? I'm good, thanks, CJ. Thank you for having me. You're very, very welcome. So tell us about uh, your project. You basically embarked on a quest to become famous in Japan, and a couple of your filmmaking friends and associates went along to Japan with you for a couple of years to document the process. That's right. So Big in Japan is four years in the making. So a few years ago, we jumped shipped and we, all three of us, moved to Japan uh, with the goal of making me as a hopelessly ordinary person famous and in that process, exploring what modern fame is all about and how it's evolved, trying to get to the guts of that question. Why do we want fame? And is it really the beacon that we build it up to be? Right. What did you discover? I discovered that uh, fame is actually an extension of something very human, and that was reflected in every, all of the uh, characters that we followed. So, so we followed three characters. Um, there was uh, Bob the Beast Sap, an American former wrestler who uh, is six foot five and one hundred and sixty kilograms. Uh, he's not so well known in his native Seattle, but in Japan, he is a mega superstar celebrity he can't go anywhere um then there was uh rick lady beard mcgarry an australian adelaide born actually who is a cross-dressing heavy metal singer uh and uh kelsey panagoni an aspiring canadian j-pop idol so i remember well, i was very very young at the time don't want to date myself but i remember in the 80s the, I think, German band Alphaville had a song called Big in Japan, and it played on this idea that you could be uniquely big in Japan coming from outside of Japan. You might be famous nowhere else in the world, but you could be big in Japan, and that was kind of its own thing. That was a long, 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 long time ago, and I'm surprised that concept still exists, but obviously you guys as young 
men knew about it and that prompted you to make the documentary. What was your first inkling? What were the initial discussions? Okay, so initially our motivation was around making a documentary exploring how fame had evolved and uh, we just needed a way to do that. So the experiment was always on the cards. Uh, in Japan, we discovered that this concept of uh, fame being quite accessible uh, had existed for quite a number of years, making it quite an interesting case study in parallel to the situation that we find ourselves now in modern culture with fame seemingly at our fingertips. Right. Had one of you had a particular experience in Japan or anything? Like where, where did the spark of the idea of going to Japan for two years come from? Actually, none of us had had anything to do with going to Japan. Lachlan's girlfriend uh, is Japanese born, uh, raised in Australia, but uh, we, we all basically just wanted to have an adventure, having uh, worked together for three years on our previous project uh, and kind of wanting to uh, sink our creative teeth into something that was entirely our own. Uh, and uh, once we came across some, some footage of foreigners doing pretty wacky, crazy stuff in Japan and discovering that these foreigners had quite a following over there, we were suddenly hooked and uh, keeping in mind these were people who didn't have much of a following in their home countries. So so that's where it all uh, kicked off. So you guys go over to Japan. The idea is to make you famous. And you were, in a way, the ideal guinea pig for this experiment. You're a perfectly blank piece of litmus paper because... You don't sing, you don't dance, you don't act. You didn't actually bring any definable qualities to the table. You can say that I'm untalented, CJ. Okay. I don't have any talents uh, and I'm completely ordinary. That's what makes me, uh, I guess, the ideal subject to explore what fame means for the everyday person. So what was your initial approach? Initially, as soon as we got to Tokyo, we'd uh, identified these talent agencies, these uh basically these companies that represented foreign talents for show business. And so they placed foreigners into ads and TV shows. What's the word for foreign talents? Gaijin Tarento. Gaijin Tarento. Gaijin means outsider or foreigner. Mm -hmm. And Tarento is... Tarento talent. Talent, yes. Yeah. And that's a highly specific thing. Yes, uh, yes. It's a category of celebrity. Would an actor who is doing a job there be a gaijin torento or is it as specific as someone who's moved there to seek specific fame in japan gaijin torento uh i guess it's it's like a it's a category of celebrity so you have to have some sort of level of recognition you have to exist somehow in the imagination of the public to hold that status uh if you're an extra and you're appearing in a few uh I don't know, TV drama recreation uh, documentaries or whatnot, maybe you don't have that status. It's, it's to do with once you're a regular fixture on Japanese television, then you are sort of regarded as a Gaijin Torento. Okay, so Beyonce or Johnny Depp, they aren't Gaijin Torento just because they're foreigners and talented. You have to actually be kind of within Japanese society and culture. 
That's right. right. Yeah, you're part of that media landscape over there. Right. So, yeah, talk about that media landscape. Is that kind of it? You really have to sort of be on the circuit of these talk shows and game shows? Yeah. Uh, so, like, there is that game show aspect, although the obsession with game show has sort of withered away because the money has gone away from TV. Mm-hmm. Now, um, like, typical Japanese television consists of uh, a whole bunch of uh panelists like three or four panelists who are usually superimposed at the bottom of the screen mm-hmm. um reacting to something that uh is being watched be it a video or uh some kind of skit or oh. uh, so that the sort of variety shows uh less so like game shows but more just variety and uh i guess the most prominent guys in torrentos are the ones who have gigs they're one of those faces superimposed. Okay. And so do you have to speak Japanese to become a Gaijin Torrento? Uh, to become like uh, a Gaijin Torrento uh, that I guess has, uh, well, the status of appearing on, on TV shows regularly, I think, yes. Right. Did you? Uh, no, I didn't. <laughs> and, and you know what? I think, well, maybe you don't, you don't necessarily have to have, uh, Japanese if you ask, if you have, uh, a certain amount of novelty value, such as Bob Sapp, Bob Sapp, the, the American guy we followed, the fighter. Yeah. He is this huge black American guy. Yeah. And, uh, he just has this, uh, very self-aware, uh, character that he's created for himself uh well, sorry not self-aware character he's very aware of his character sure that he's created for himself which is uh the beast Synon- synonymously uh cute and scary and right. he doesn't know much japanese he's certainly not fluent he he knows uh comedic situations and he's he's very good at slapstick <laughs> and yeah. and he uh he was huge on Japanese television, and he still uh, he still is one of the uh, most famous foreign celebrities of Gaijin Torrento of all time. Right. Did you manage to end up on any of those television shows? I know you did sort of kind of achieve your level of fame over there. You were an actor in ads and on on print advertising, et cetera. So your face was around, but did you manage to end up on any of those panel shows or...? Yes, um, more so as a participant uh-huh. uh, in, in uh, I guess, uh, a variety show. It's almost like a fringe, uh, uh, sorry, it's almost like a game show, the one I recall that uh, is probably uh, really like highlights that Gaijin Torrento type of celebrity. I was uh, placed onto a show in which I had to choose um, out of three possible girls which one i found the most attractive oh my gosh (laughs) and the trick was (laughs) the trick was that one of them was not actually a woman oh my gosh (laughs) you basically just said a concept that just really would not fly for example in modern australia i would hope and then you double down on it with (laughs) oh no transgender uh, fear transgender phobic issues that's hysterical i mean being on such a show it must have felt quite strange just because politically it's obviously you know it's a different system well i didn't even know what was happening when when that had happened they didn't tell us anything they were just hoping to get these raw um gaijin foreigner reactions 
to the situation. So in in a way, we were sort of like uh, tools for the entertainment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you kind of get the feeling, I mean, I don't know Japanese television particularly well, and I'm not, you know, I know that there are lots of non-Japanese people who are really into Japanese pop culture, and I'm not one of those, but... As I say, I do have these images in my head of Japanese television from when we sort of, we, we are presented with it on a sort of serving platter of Western television. And to me, it definitely seems like a lot of people are tools for the amusement, actually, of the creators of the shows, that it's highly manipulative and often humiliation is a part of the game. Oh, that is absolutely true. And uh, it it's sort of, you can see it reflected by the short sort of screen time that a lot of the celebrities have. Like they have this really peak um, moment of celebrity and then it's hard for them to uh, sustain it uh, because there are this, this huge national joke for like uh, a few weeks or something like that. And then that gag has somehow we've moved on to the next gag. So is that part of the skill set required? Like if you were going to, which your movie doesn't do as far as I sort of recollect, but if you were to provide a dot point list for people who were going to go over to Japan to try and become famous, is that kind of one of the important skill sets? You actually have to embrace being humiliated. You have to have an incredibly thick skin or be completely willing to be the butt of jokes. 100%, One hundred percent, I think. Yeah, uh, you, and you you do even better if you could uh, figure out what your humiliation factor is as well. <laughs> if you were, if you were up for that, you would uh, you'd have it ready made for them. Right. So, what would you put on the on that list? Are we talking fame in Japan? Yeah, I'm. I'm a twenty year old. I'm healthy. I've got some savings in the bank, and I desperately want to be famous. So, I am going to try and go be big in Japan. What do you recommend? I would recommend getting some photos. Well, first of all, thinking about what your uh, image is, pigeonholing yourself, stereotyping yourself, and basically typecasting yourself, taking some pictures of you in that particular role and submitting them to uh, talent agencies. Even better if you have some uh, examples of you acting in that role. So in your case, you presented yourself as a, a stereotypical nerd. Yeah, a bit of a crazy geek. Right. Okay. Um, and this is an audio. This is an audio medium. But David's glasses are prominent, but no more so than anyone else's glasses. Somehow, just they they work on you in that nerd way. <laughs> yeah, I guess they make my eyes look a lot bigger. They do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what else would you say to them? So they've got to pick their thing. So they've got to somehow figure out how to basically stereotype themselves. And the other aspect of our documentary was, uh, I guess, taking things into our own hands to build fame for ourselves. So I think you can't ever rely on TV working in your favor. Right. It was a lot about uh, creating and and making uh, YouTube videos, essentially. Right. Well, that's where your film then branches off is into making YouTube videos. So talk about that for a bit. That's obviously a huge thing in Japan. There are people who are big in Japan primarily for YouTube videos that they've made in Japan that are primarily watched by people in Japan. That's right. Yeah, there's a huge YouTube community in Japan, uh, not just of Japanese people, but of actual actually uh, Westerners going to Japan and becoming, um, I guess, vloggers or 
or uh, almost like the uh, the medium that takes foreign uh, watchers to Japan to absorb some of the culture. Uh, most of the YouTubers who we came across were uh, had had hundreds, if not um, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of followers internationally. And part of that was because the Western world is so thirsty for Japanese culture right now. Right. But this is, this is foreigners in Japan, but that is being read by people outside of Japan as Japanese culture. Yeah. As Japanese so pop culture. It's somewhat, uh, I guess, uh, reinterpreted. That's yeah. so funny. So I am a, a, a non-Japanese person in a, non, in a country outside of Japan watching a YouTube video produced in Japan by a non-Japanese person, and I'm receiving that as emblematic of Japanese pop culture, even though the author is maybe Australian, such as your friend Ladybeard. That's right, yeah. <laughs> That's hysterical. It's very globalised. Yeah, it is. It's, it's an interesting uh, time that we're in, I think, and, and with Japanese culture, like even, even the Japanese government um, really pushing what they're calling cool japan the the anime the the cosplay uh the uh iconic aspects of japanese subculture it's becoming uh that a lot of foreigners are actually realizing their dreams of moving to japan and becoming known in a sense online a lot of them are actively building themselves up to be idols or uh or cosplayers or or simply vloggers who are uh, creating the scene. So what is the content that people are creating? If you talk about these YouTube videos that get hundreds of millions of hits and there are a lot of people over there doing them, what are they putting out there? What is What do you see when you press play? <laughs> One of our subjects, uh, Kelsey Parnagoni, is an aspiring J-pop idol mm -hmm. and she, uh, she actually put put out videos of her singing and dancing along to songs in a way that is uh, very much idol culture to a T. Right. And uh, idols are essentially pretty cute young girls who sing a little bit and dance a little bit, but primarily are attractive in an unbelievably sort of cute, cute way. Yes. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. It's, it's a type of star that we, uh, we can't really, we don't really have any sort of equivalent in the West. It, their, their main fan bases are uh, middle-aged men, to put it bluntly. Oh, really? Right. And there are very, very interesting, strange elements to the iconography of the idol. For example, I noticed there's one shot in your film where Kelsey appears in a photograph and with just a single tear on her cheek. And I thought there's something there. There's a story there about his crying as part of this iconography. That's interesting that you picked that up. That was a really um, sad moment uh, actually in the trajectory of that particular group because it was their, their last ever performance together. But it was also very... Um, it's a very visceral type of uh, performance. It's it's important for the idols to show their emotions to the fans, and uh, because it's it's almost more about uh, the journey of the idol as opposed to the performance itself. Mm -hmm. The the fans are there to support the idols, and it doesn't so much matter um, 
whether the songs are any good or anything. Actually, right. <laughs> it's more it's it's more about how that idol group moves and evolves, and in a sense grows, uh, and that's why young girls are often the uh, chosen as as idols. Do they fabricate backstories or existences for themselves? For example, Kelsey is a Canadian and she was living in an apartment and essentially she was striving. Is that what people understand of her or do, do they create alternative realities? Yeah, uh, they definitely create stories and uh, I guess their, their main um, goal is to give the fans something some some reason to want them to do well to right. gambaru as they say to do uh do your best oh, okay yeah um try your hardest and uh for kelsey that was quite simple because she'd come all the way from canada with the hope of becoming a uh a famous j-pop idol mm-hmm. and that was very much a part of her story to the fans and at the same time the group hajirai rescue hajirai means shy so they were shy girls right. <laughs> doing their best, trying to get recognition. And that's part of the way they're fetishized, isn't it? The shyness. Yes. They all have to basically, whether or not they're actually shy, they all have to assume this cloak of being desperately shy. That's right. Yes. And um, they're not allowed to have boyfriends or anything like that. They have to have this image of being very innocent. So... It's definitely something that we would um, we would be kicking up a storm about in the West if that was allowed to take. Is that what the you're not allowed to have boyfriend thing is about? Is it about sexual innocence? They're meant to be virginal? Essentially. I mean, if you read between the lines, that's what's going on. It wouldn't ever be said, though. Right. And to what degree are they aware that, as you said, their dominant fan base is middle-aged men? Because that's creepy. Yeah, but that's that's all idol culture in Japan. It's like that's what it is. It uh, every every idol group has middle aged fans. I mean, occasionally you get uh, some some female fans as well, but it's that's that's the glaring reality. Right. And do they go to the concerts and dance along and yes. all of that? They actually become the uh, the lifeblood of the band. So they're the ones. It, the more merchandise they bu- they buy, the more it contributes to the uh, success of of the group. And so, if you're a small uh, idol group on on the cusp of of mainstream status, uh, you're going to want more of these fans to uh, basically invest in you so you have a chance of marketing yourself. I see. They are, by buying the merchandise and by being seen to buy the merchandise, they're actively sort of giving money to these young girls as a form of tribute. That's right. Yeah. It's fascinating. It really is. I could talk for hours about this whole idol concept, but your movie takes in a lot more than that. You did stay away from, as I remember, Instagram celebrity, which is sort of the dominant mode that's got everyone like baffled at the moment. Was that just too big? Was it time for another movie or did you try or what was that? Yeah. uh, It wasn't something that we explored in Japan. We were really fascinated by the YouTube culture that was going on there and just because of the place of the story, uh, we wanted to do something that was harmonious to that. 
Mm. So um, it just just so happened that uh, Instagram celebrities didn't feature so much in the documentary, but um, it uh, is reflected in, I guess, how we how we tackle the subject. Is it something that they are all embracing? Would Lady Beard now be working on his Instagram as much as everything else, or is it just not as big in Japan? Yeah, um, Instagram isn't as big in, in Japan, but Lady Beard, since we followed him, has gone from being like a Japanese star to a global star, and Instagram is very much a part of uh, his operation. Lady Beard is... Uh, the interesting thing about uh, Lady Beard, aka Rick McGarry, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, is uh, that they built their fame completely from scratch using really, really quite smart and savvy uh, grassroots techniques. Right, which are well documented in your film, which is enormously entertaining, I should say. I absolutely loved it. So, in the end, I mean, that gentleman, Rick McGarry, aka Lady Beard, him herself, he, he gives some wonderful moments in the film about why he wanted to become famous. But what did you learn personally through your journey in these two years about fame? I think that fame is, uh, it's an extension of something uh, pretty human. Uh, I think all of us want to be liked. Uh, A lot of us want to be recognized as being good at something. Um, And uh, who doesn't want to be rich and uh, yeah, I think fame is 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 uh, in a lot of ways about that. Uh, but I also think that uh, for the people who really want fame, it's that they're actually quite extreme, um, unique people who uh, have been through something or have experienced something in their lives that is really influencing their fame ambition because to get fame actually involves a whole lot of work. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not a usual thing for an ordinary person to, uh, I guess, uh, doggedly pursue. Sure. So, uh, that aspect was really interesting. I learned that, um, I was never going to put myself through that ever again because it was it 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 was it was draining actually because it was really really hard work to put these youtube clips out and then half the time you wouldn't get any views so it was it was uh it was pretty revealing in that sense and but there are also other prices to pay such as loneliness ironically uh because uh a lot of people know who you are and it becomes difficult for for the subject to know who wants to know them for that real for their real selves or who wants some kind of association with them mm. and the other price is sacrifice right there's always some sort of sacrifice right well good on you for taking one for the team <laughs> thanks cj i mean we haven't even mentioned and we won't we'll save it as a visual surprise for people when they see the movie what you did in the second half of the movie to achieve your YouTube fame, the character that you put on, I mean, embodies everything that you've just been talking about, including a lot of sacrifice. Bloody hard work. <laughs> yeah. Sacrifice and humiliation uh, and hard work. Yep. Um, Big in Japan, as I say, it's tremendously entertaining. And starting in January, you can see it at a cinema near you by going to fanforce.com. That's fanforce with a dash between fan and force.com. It's this new 
method of distribution whereby you and a bunch of your friends get together and advocate for the film being shown at your local cinema and then you can make an event out of it, a party out of it. And get a cut of the box office as well. Oh, can you really? Yeah, so if you host the film, you can get a, a a small cut of the box office so it makes it worth your while. There you go. Get rich off David's own humiliating journey towards fame as he tried to become, and did for a while, become big in Japan. David Elliott-Jones, join me on Movie Land. Thank you so much. Thank you, CJ. It's been a pleasure. Well,